2: Welcome back to the Roker Report in association with RokerReport.com. This is actually the 50th episode of the podcast, so there's a big thank you to our audience from all of us at the Rapport for listening to us over the last 12 months. And here's to another 50 episodes. Lots happened since we last spoke to you before the international break. Uh, Sunderland have drawn a game to all with Millwall, so we'll talk a little bit about that. It's not terribly relevant now. But that was under caretaker manager Robbie Stockdale. Of course, the real news is that Chris Coleman, former Wales manager, has decided to drink from that poison chalice that is Sunderland AFC. So we've got him for another two and a half years from the sounds of it on a £750,000 a year contract. Good for him. Good guy. Um, unfortunately, his managerial reign began today, essentially, with a disappointment, uh, 2-1 loss at Villa Park to Aston Villa. So we'll be chatting about all that. And uh, to help me through it, I'm joined by some Rock Report
3: writers, Jimmy Lawson, how you doing, buddy? Yeah, very well, very well, glad to make our turn on the uh, big 50th episode, should be fun. Yeah, yeah, it's the, it's the extravaganza. <laughs> you should, I've got a little drink,
2: but I've always got a, drink, a little drink on. And we've also got James Nichols, how you doing, buddy?
4: Yeah, I'm good, mate. I'm good. Glad to be here, I'm here. Birthday today, actually.
2: Nice. Your birthday day, is it? Fantastic, nice, look at um, that. Yes. Celebrating it in style on the podcast with the lads. (laughs) Unfortunately, Sunderland didn't do you too many favours on your birthday. Jimmy, Lowson, my friend, a quick rundown of your thoughts on the game today. The somewhat disappointing 2-1 loss seemed like we could have got a lot more out of that. What do you think?
3: Yeah, yeah, um, I'd agree with that. I felt it was a real sort of mixed bag from Sunday. I mean, we sort of knocked it about with much more confidence. There was a marked difference in terms of the way we played football from What we've been used to this season with Grayson and his sort of, Emphasis on direct football and Coleman trying to get us to play football and trying to get us to make something happen The one the one disappointing thing is we had so much possession We had so much to ball and yet there was never really that end product I mean I did the match report for the game and I think there was maybe three goal-scoring chances that I actually bothered to write about from Sunderland and That's the one mm. disappointment that we saw some progress. We saw some better football, but ultimately At the end of the day, it was, it was another disappointing defeat. It was another defeat where at times we looked a bit sketchy at the back, where at times we were the second best team. I felt as if towards the end of the first half and the start of the second. So we had our moments. We played really well at times, but there just wasn't enough end product, but the the signs are promising. It looks as if we're going to be better under Coleman. If we are going to go down, we're going to go down playing more exciting football. So it was, it was a promising start. It's just very frustrating that we didn't win the game or get anything out of the game. And the other frustrating thing is, There was a clear foul in the build-up to the first goal, which was just Mm. absolutely absurd. I mean, Samba's wiped out Matthews, and that should never happen. And then the second goal is a deflected goal as well. So when things aren't going for us, when we are playing well away from home against a good team Mm. and trying to hold our own, we don't even get the luck. So, I mean... Plenty of positives. Com is going to get us playing football in a different way, a more exciting way. It's it's just ultimately frustrating. that it's, it's another loss and it's another game gone. Mm, that is the real tragedy
2: of this, I suppose. We started it so well. Well, the opening 20 minutes, 30 minutes... We were discussing it as always in the chat, and it was plain to see that there was a lot more—not determination, because they've showed determination many times during this season. If without any end product, it wasn't determination; it was more of a um, concentration. But it—it it certainly seemed like, particularly to go down. I mean, the second goal for me—that—that that was unfair. It was harsh. It took a huge deflection. As you say, the first goal there was a build-up. It's—it's—it's uh, it's debatable, but a foul in that build-up to that. Regardless of that. I think, as I say, we played really well up until we conceded the second goal. After that, it just seemed to be a lot of deflation. There was a good 10-15 minutes with the players kicking around, having lost their, I don't know, their recent vigour, their recently found vigour. But still, as you say, there are a lot of positives to take from that. I would take a few, certainly. James, what do you think of the game, man?
4: It's not a great result. I mean, if we could have got that goal, a goal near the end and got the draw, it would have been great to come away from Villa Park. But look, Villa are fifth in the table and they're fifth for a reason. They're an effective team. They've got a good system with some good players. Look at their lineup today and their lineup was quite daunting at the start. And I think we're missing six first team players because the way we played today. We played, mm. set ourselves up completely differently. And played in a different style to under Grayson. I've, I've hated the way we've played football under Grayson. It's, it's been long ball, hoof balls up. It's been just constantly looking over the heads. The players are always looking over the shoulder. And there isn't any time you've mm. seen players moving into space, dictating play, cutting in between, playing one twos, having the ability to play the ball short and actually keep the ball. And today we're seeing that for the first time, arguably this season or maybe even longer. And it's only been a couple of days into Coleman's reign. And if we're already doing that, that shows that not necessarily maybe him himself has only been in there for 48 hours. It's partly managerial impact, but it's also that you could just plainly see that under Grayson, we're playing the wrong style of football. These players aren't players that are going to succeed under a direct long ball style. I've got nothing wrong with a direct long ball style, but it just doesn't work for the players that we have. And this particularly played to the strengths of Lewis Crabben, who I thought I had a very good game today.
3: Yeah, but I think um, James is really keyed in on the key point here, and that is that we really, really have to sort of. Play to our strengths now. Sort of, if you were to list Sunderland's best sort of half dozen players, with the exception of maybe Didier and Dong, they're all attack-minded players. And if we've now got Madjer and Chris Coleman, who showed with Wales that he can bring the best out of the players he's got, that he's capable of playing to the strengths of his best attacking players, and we can see more of Grabbing games, more of McGeady games, that's really going to be the way we get out of trouble. I mean. We've got a soft mm. centre. I think we're going to have a soft centre all season. It would take some minor miracle working to solve our issues in defensive midfield, our issues at centre-back, our issues at goalkeeper, obviously, between now and the end of the season. But if Chris Coleman can maybe, yeah, get us playing through grabbing more, get us playing to his strengths more, get us getting McGeady into the games more regularly. I know he's a bit up and down today, but that's really going to make us more exciting to watch. And if we do go down, at least we're going to go down playing good football. So I think that's a real positive from today that already we're seeing the impact that Chris Coleman can have off the back of what, maybe one, two training sessions. So although the performance was patchy, at times we held on to the ball a bit too long, at times we didn't play quickly enough, we're already seeing some really good things with Coleman. And it's really great to sort of come away from a game against, like James said, one of the best teams in the league and see Sunderland actually compete and hold our own. So it was... There were a lot of positives today.
4: Yeah. I just, mm. it was that soft center that's, it's been a big problem for us all season. But today it seems slightly different. Now, George Honeyman and Lyndon Gooch, I thought played just slightly advanced to Dan Gibson in like a 4-3-3 sort of role. And the two of them kind of done his work for him at times. Gibson was much more withdrawn. He didn't have to do as much running as he has to have done alongside Catamol, especially against Middlesbrough. He was having to huff and puff all the way up and down the pitch. And Gibson, he's injury prone and on the wrong side of 30. Playing those two there. With Honeyman and Gooch, they've done a lot of the running and a lot of the pressing for Gibson. And they're both terriers. They both fight. They both work very hard in the middle. And I thought that three actually worked very well. And I'm arguably one of Gibson's biggest critics. But I thought he had a good game today. George Honeyman, I'm not so yeah. sure. He he was good. He worked hard, very he good? hard. But This uh,
2: is it. I'm not sure he, he was good. I mean, he has had some good performances for us today. I, I think it's fair to say that he's lacking. I mean considering how many people have come through our academy system now like people like pickford gooch what more obviously we'll talk about what more shortly because apparently some harsh news on him injured out for a long time which kind of sucks but yeah out of all of those considering those that have come into the senior squad who have had chances with the first team i mean Honeyman has to be one of the bigger question marks you know surely it has to there has to be a bigger question mark over Honeyman whether his contribution, not necessarily because of him, but perhaps because of because of his style of play, whether that's actually beneficial as much as say Gooch, who, although playing in a slightly different position, is more aggressive, more combative, the these sort of things, they they should be taken into account when you look at our developing players. I think if we had fewer well-developed Academy players, which I, as I say, I think we do have a lot of, I think, I think they have more opportunities than most certainly, and they, they have a lot more of a, an endearing fan base amongst the fans of the first team who might not necessarily follow the under 23s or anything like that in any other team because of our constant merry-go-round of
3: managers. You know, There's, they're always on display, aren't they? They're always in the shop window. James made a good point on um, Honeyman in terms of that he did do an important role off the ball. He was an absolute terrier tonight. He did work really hard. But there were times where I was looking and thinking, when are we going to create a chance? When are we going to make that killer pass? And he was sometimes, he was as guilty as anyone really, of really ending attacks. Attacks ended when the ball came to him. He wasn't able to play the ball to play in Matthews. He wasn't able to pick out that killer pass that got grabbing away. And you could say that's fine. We're away at Villa. That's fine. You want that sort of robustness. You want that energy and that work rate. But it's a bit of a shame that Williams wasn't available and we maybe didn't have that number ten that you could have switched Honeyman for when we were chasing the game. Because I do think he played well. I do think that James's point's correct about Gibson sort of having the space to pass because he had other people doing his running for him. But it's yeah. quite interesting with Honeyman that he played well in ways, but then at times he was patchy and he was a bit up and down, a bit inconsistent. Gooch, on the other hand, I think there's talent there. I mean, he played one inch perfect pass to Brian Oviedo. It mm. was really good in the first half. And then he also had that ball over the top to grab it. And there's, he's showing us flashes of his ability. Like, I mean, I know he's given away the ball a lot. I know he struggled with Grayson's hoofball a bit, but, but there's something there. So I think Gooch's an exciting prospect. Honeyman really you're looking at him as a squad player I think so and I think that's something we've talked about a lot on this pod
4: I think I definitely agree with Lyndon Gooch I'm a big fan of Gooch's actually and that's going to get quoted afterwards but it won't,
2: it won't. I think you're only like the millionth person to make that I think <laughs> we have a million fans so but
4: <laughs> McGregor. he is he is a very very uh, technically skilled player I think with Lyndon Gooch Honeyman, on the other hand, Honeyman, I think, was frustrating tonight. He gave a ball ball away so often and finished so many of our attacks. Yeah, I remember watching George Honeyman for the under-23s, and he was the focal point for everything. He played in the Mm. number 10 role, and everything the under-23s have done well over the last couple of years when he was in the team, it came through him. See, when it was Michael Mandron up front, everything that came to Mandron went through Honeyman at some point. He played as the number ten, coming short for the ball, receiving it, recycling it in dangerous positions, and getting the odd goal himself. He looks a completely different player. He still has the terrier-like work rate that he had for the under twenty threes, but he just hasn't hmm. developed for the first team in the same way that he could control and dictate games for the for the under twenty threes.
2: In that sense, I, I agree with you. Like he while they've had many opportunities to display themselves like or display their qualities to the new manager or the new managerial team or whatever over the years over recent years it's still difficult to do that isn't it given the pressures that are put on players when they walk into the dressing room there's a lot of there's a lot of factors that go into being a in professional football. And obviously there's a lot of psychology, which is ignored in most, most mainstream media. They tend to ignore it unless it's a documentary on BBC. People don't tend to care about the inner workings of the football mind, you know. And there are huge pressures on them and things like that that you can look at and say, oh, well, he's being paid, I don't know. 10 grand a week to do this i assume that's something like what Gucci's on he should just get over it it's very difficult to do that isn't it so obviously in a situation where we look at it and go well that wouldn't faze me or that wouldn't be something that would display itself on the pitch that's something that happens quite evidently so when it comes to these young players coming into a situation like Sunderland, like playing for the first team well it's easy to turn around and say oh well they've got many opportunities at the same time on the other side of that coin they've got huge pressure not just to perform for their manager, but to actually step into a dressing room that's already, you know, it's already depressed for the fact that it's been relegated or whatever, that must be doubly hard. So I think you've got to admire the mental constitution of players like Gooch, even Honeyman, regardless of whether he had a good performance today or not who come into it and still manage to sort of thrive in that atmosphere.
3: The one thing I think that maybe Honeyman's missing, like as somebody who didn't watch him a lot coming through, who sort of was exposed to him for the first time last year, when he sort of came on at West Brom and when he was brought into the side that was struggling under Moyes, is I think he lacks that X factor, whether it's sort of the power to have a powerful shot, whether it's the athleticism to go away from someone at this level. I just think he's missing maybe that one thing he's special at, like he's good technically, he's got good feet. But I feel as if maybe to stick out at this level and to excel at this level, he's just lacking that one thing that you think, oh, yeah, that's what George Honeyman's really good at. He's He's got that great shot on him that, that people need to respect. Or, oh, yeah, George Honeyman, the way he goes past players, that's what they've really got to respect. Or or maybe yeah. sort of like he doesn't quite have the trickery in the gi I just feel as if he's yeah. making all these players. He just... Just isn't quite at that level.
4: Yeah, definitely agree on Honeyman there. Honeyman's, is good, but I don't, he's, he's got a lot of aspects that are against him in his game, unfortunately, because of the nature of his game. I remember watching a documentary on the club on American TV and Gooch was actually being interviewed and he mentioned something in the academy. It's an old school academy that they make them wash all the dressing rooms, they make, to keep them grounded. And that's part of the psychology. That's part of what I think is good that the academy do bring in. we discussed in the Son of the Academy and more so English Academy with Rene Maric, who writes for Spielberg and he's the assistant coach of Red Bull Salzburg now in Austria. And he heavily, heavily reprimands English academy football for focusing too much on individual technical ability and not mm-hmm. on team technical ability. So the, he yeah. basically says that they, they focus too much on, say, like letting them have just free kick practice over and all instead of, team drills, which, although doesn't really show in Honeyman's performance tonight because uh, on the ball, he was actually quite poor. But if you look at one of his problems, that he doesn't really have spatial awareness, great spatial awareness, he just, he's never really looking over his shoulder, and because of that, it makes him look smaller, slower, and weaker than he actually is, because he's hmm. never really in the space that he should always be in. According to that that's a problem with the academy, that's a, but I can see it in Honeyman. That's an
2: interesting point. That's an interesting point. Having said that, considering that most managers seem to not just managers, but anyone who seems to visit the the facilities of some AFC, they're not at all scathing about it. They're they're very complimentary. Like the so from all accounts, in my mind, I know we're not having necessarily the best success with the under 23s at the moment. But we did have. It seems like we were having a lot of success with the under 23s not so long ago, 18 months ago, for example. You know, I'm not sure if that was uh, because of the change-ups in the dressing room or anything like that. Okay, yeah. So we've been chatting a lot about uh, the Aston Villa game, which is it's neither here nor there, really. I suppose some moot point. Talking about Chris Coleman, really, this is first, well his first game in charge of Sunderland. Obviously, he sent his uh, assistant, Simmons, to watch us in the last draw we played, the last match we played uh, under Robbie Stockdale, though. So now he's had a little bit of time to take a look at his squad. He's had a little bit of time to perhaps implement one or two philosophies or the idea of philosophy, certainly enough not enough time to actually implement them properly or get them adhering to them but certainly a chance to tell everyone how he is and how he acts as a manager also his interview um did very well in my eyes i'm going to put it to you guys though jimmy what did you make of coleman's interview first of all and afterwards i don't know his actions i suppose tonight the timing of the substitutions the team
3: selection well um that was the crazy thing about tonight for me was just how much of an impact we saw that he'd had already in terms of playing style how sort of alien it was to what we've seen before with, with Grayson and Moise. I couldn't believe how different we looked after what one or two training sessions, like I mentioned before. And yeah, it's all been really positive. I mean, I couldn't believe it on, on Friday night when I saw that he was coming. I could not believe that he's willing to give up mm-hmm. the post in Wales, the potential of jumping in at a Premier League job. So many other options. I mean, it's it's, mm. it's a real plus, definitely. I mean, I'm very impressed with what I've seen so far. I'm my first choice would have been Paul Heckinbottom, I think if we'd gone for him, there's more of an element of risk in terms of how good he actually is. But I think there's more potential us setting ourselves up with a manager who who could be more shrewd in terms of the transfers he could make. Who could potentially be with us even if we did go down to League One, and that was potentially the long term punt that I would have liked to have seen us take, but. Everything about Coleman's impressive. I think that he's a much better manager now than he was when he was at Coventry in Fulham. I think he doesn't get anywhere near enough credit for what he did with Wales last summer. I think people are way too quick to dismiss that. Okay, without Gareth Bale, he doesn't get there. But he still set that team up in a system where both Bale and Ramsey could flourish. So it's all very promising. I think ultimately he's a much better coach than Grayson. Whether he falls down or succeeds his going to depend on what he can do in the transfer window. And that's the big unknown. I mean, I I assume everyone who's listened to this podcast read Callum's piece over the weekend on our infrastructure, on Martin Bain's long-term plan. And that's the big worry Mm. is coming into a club that is so disorganized, that's so lacking in terms of infrastructure. If he wants to be successful here, he has to do the job of about three men, and that's that's the big challenge. But in terms of a coach, he's about as good as what we could have got. We've already seen that tonight, so it's it's all very positive, really.
4: Yeah, definitely. Coleman, that, Coleman's got a big job on his hands, but every single coach that's been successful at Sutherland, they've had a big character. You've had to have a big character to be a good Sutherland manager. Philip, if you go back in, the last successful one we had was Allardyce, and be, he got the England job on, on the back of being successful here. Brayson just didn't have the character. He didn't have the the personality for the job. Even from the start, he looked a little bit out of his depth. Whereas Coleman, with his experience, with his, the way that he's handled the Wales job, the, being named what's the, the 45th best coach in the world and then the best British coach in the world by Le Quipe, a notoriously harsh French newspaper. He's arguably too good of a manager for us, for the state that we're in right now and what we deserve right now. Mm. And I don't want to be... Blowing his trumpet too much too early. But I'm very optimistic about Coleman in charge. And I've done a Q&A with Ben Dudley of the supporters and our customers site just after the announcement. And he even predicted that there won't be a short-term fix with Coleman, but there will be a long-term vision. He said he even predicted we'll finish 12th this season and get into the playoffs next year. And That's from a lifelong Wales fan who went every single game under Coleman and actually wanted him sacked at one point after the 6-1 defeat.
2: Yeah, it's, it's easy to see that he's perhaps better than we could have expected. I mean, Jimmy said something there about, well, he would have preferred Paul Heckingbottom. But is that really the case? I mean, we discussed it a lot. Obviously, there weren't really many realistic runners for that job. We could say certainly I'm concerned a little bit that some fans um sort of swept away by the idea of chris coleman like so because to me international management means very little relative success at international level as well I, I don't think it's anywhere near as intensive i don't think it's anywhere near as difficult or challenging i don't, I don't think it's difficult to manage at international level i'm sure it is uh, certainly in a uh press sort of sense but when it comes to actual selection and things like that everything's pretty much done for you you know it seems like a bit of a a part-time job. And on that basis alone, I'm not saying it's nothing. Obviously, it's it's a heavy job with a lot of pressure. But on that yeah. basis alone, I wouldn't compare it to like a club pedigree or anything like that. So yeah. for me personally, I, d- I don't consider it to be a really something that stands out on its CV. I, it's just, it's neither here nor there. That's a good thing. But perhaps people are... A bit overwhelmed by this, whereas they shouldn't be. What do you think?
4: Yeah, I, I agree that I think that in an international job like that, with the players that Coleman had at the end, like, it wasn't that difficult. It's not that hard. But see, what you look at what he's done with the Wales squad and what he's done with the Wales national team, they came in in 2012 and arguably the lowest ebb in their history it was just after the death of Gary Speed.
2: See, the thing is, right, and this might be a slightly controversial opinion, and I don't want to upset anybody here. I'm not going to say anything too controversial, but the well there isn't that much to say the reality is though i i wonder if most of the galvanization came from the death of gary speed you know
4: that is kind of true i mean the the players obviously really wanted to react there was quite a large gap there was quite a large period of time that's that span between the death of unfortunate death of
3: speed and when
4: wales became successful it was a long-term thing that coleman led them turned them around and eventually Mm. became implemented what he believed it wasn't just like a a, an automatic go on like straight reaction but uh, then i think that's all down to coleman it's it's the Wales were like a lot of the players were devastated like Mm. a lot of them spoke about it in the past They were absolutely devastated after the death of speed and it is widely the hell is like the lowest ebb in welsh football history and i think they were like 100th in the rankings at the time and he's got them up to above england at one point like that it may be only an international management job, but the magnitude and the gravitas of that job just can't be underestimated for
3: me. Yeah, I think as well, there's definitely a different skill set. There's definitely certain things that he would have done as Wales manager that aren't entirely relevant to trying to sign a championship level goalkeeper, that aren't entirely relevant to looking across and seeing that Lee Catamull and Darren Gibson can't run anymore. There is there is sort of a cutoff, but I do feel that you have to give him a lot of credit for the system he set them up in, for the way they played so well. I mean, that Belgium team, that is arguably the best team in the world that they beat in the quarterfinals. So he does deserve a lot of credit for outperforming what he should do. OK, it's one-off games in international football. There's more variance with luck. But he, he, I think he deserves a bit more credit than what Damo's given him, essentially, that what he is doing is good. I mean, like I said, I would prefer Heckenbombe because we know he can manage in this league. We know he can recruit mm. players in this league. We know he can deal with losing his best players in this league. But I, I see a lot of positives with Chris Coleman, and I don't see any way that he's not an improvement on Grayson. So in the short term... Oh,
2: no, that that, that wasn't that wasn't something I was saying, certainly. I'm just saying that the idea that an international manager is a boon simply because he's an international manager I, I wonder if that's something that should come into account when we're considering the pedigree of our manager you know because it's like you can look at Moyes and you can look at his cv and you can look at oh well he was at man u and he did this and he did this and oh look at what he did at Everton and then all of this is just so much bullshit as we know It it all just comes down to what they do next sort of thing so
4: I'm actually loving having this conversation because mm-hmm. for once we're not debating whether or not the manager we have are good or bad but we're actually debating how successful the manager was and whether the success was <laughs> just down to him. Like it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> irref- irrevocable that he was successful. <laughs> that's
3: a very good point. So That's a very good point.
4: I think that's why he was so kind of pleased with the appointment. Every single manager who was linked with it like even and Bottom had a few drawbacks. Uh, Paul Hurst a person that i championed quite a lot early in the race as you had other ones like Aitor Karanka with how controversial he is. I think Coleman, arguably, out of the realistic people that we could have got, is probably, when you weigh up all the options, it's probably the best one yet.
2: Yeah, certainly. That's something I subscribe to, definitely, regardless of what you might think of what I've said. Yeah, absolutely. I think he was... A, a great appointment um not because of his international thing or anything like that but i remember i said uh people were talking about his first interview i hadn't seen it and they were talking about it in the broke report chat and saying oh i'm quite impressed you know he comes across a really impressive guy and feeling a little bit optimistic and i was just saying oh well it's so much lip service you know we've heard it all a thousand times before and they know what to say and blah 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 but Um, Gav said to me, actually, he said, I think you'll change your mind when you actually watch the interview. So I did. And I was quite surprised, taken aback, to say that, yeah, I am a little bit um, surprised. I I am a little bit impressed, to be honest, because he has a severity to him that I didn't anticipate. There's something that I didn't recognise when his name was thrown into the mix. But, yeah, with him, I was was quite surprised. I I expected – I mean, with Grayson, we got – Oh, I I recognize what I've got here. I recognize that someone needs to do this and I'm going to throw in some good old fashioned elbow grease and some good work. And, you know, like that was the idea, and his attitude would get him through. His lovely attitude would get him through. And that didn't work out. Obviously, we've had a lot of people sit in that chair and speak through that mic. But the way he did, it just seems like you can't now expect him to be completely, regardless of what he said in the media, you can't expect him to be completely ignorant of the situation at Sunderland. You think by now you would have to be absolutely batshit crazy to walk into this job blind. Like it would be absolutely insane. There's no chance that anyone could possibly take this job again Without knowing what they're getting into, so you've got that. That's instantly like shouting in your mind, like, "Well, he surely, God, he's a sensible person. He knows, regardless yeah. of any sort. He he knows." Yeah, and on top of that, he's he's coming across with a kind of severity and not an aura. I won't go so far as to say an aura, but um, there's an aspect to him. Certainly, you can see how he has charisma, not necessarily of the bouncing around the room type bouncing around the whole stadium and getting involved with the fan story but more in the dressing room quietly confidently spurring on his players and you know having the knowledge and the respect from those players for them to listen to him
4: it was it was very cathartic then even for myself it was it was very nice to come in and know that it's it's not just how impressive and stubby he was but he's very charismatic i was i was just getting drawn in by what he what he was saying it was the part about the toughness, the mental toughness and togetherness in the second half of the interview was absolutely brilliant. Winning three 0 doesn't make mental toughness and togetherness, but it's it's when you're at your lowest ebb, it's when you're at your deer N- that you get your mental toughness. Mm. And that was almost as if he he knows that it's going to be long, it's going to be hard, it's going to be difficult to get out of this situation. But saying that is going to bring everybody together instead of coming in and what Simon Grayson done, where it was just kind of these little answers that didn't quite, when he analyzed it, he didn't really say anything, but at the same time said a lot. Whereas Moyes was just dour and horrendous. Coleman's been very savvy and very charismatic, and it's, it just wants you to get behind him. It's, it doesn't even seem like it's just club propaganda because there's been a lot of, a lot of that, especially mm. under Grayson. Grayson's. Mm. Was saying the right things at first, but then once he's seen what was happening on the pitch and everything else that came with it, these saying the right things just made it look like he was lying through his teeth. But I don't think he was. I think he's just an honest, genuine man who was just out of his depth and was just losing it by the end of it. And in his interview last week he even showed that he's not really vindictive about what happened at all. He's just kind of like apologetic, if anything. He's, he's he's obviously defending his own record.
2: He does look like, I mean, it was easy at first to use him as the scapegoat because, in a sense, he was inevitably used like that in the end. Um, That isn't necessarily to say that they they took him on with that idea or that he signed up with that idea. But I completely agree that he was out of his depth. That isn't to say that he didn't make ridiculous mistakes, though. And the truth of the matter is is that he was given a job. He was, as I said, I mean, I'm, I'm talking about Coleman saying that surely, God, you'd have to be stupid to walk into this job blind. Similarly with Grayson, I mean, it was only, what, 14 games or something like that? You know, he had the opportunity to understand where things were coming from. He had the opportunity to take advice from other people and he, he did jump at the job. So, yes, he was out of his depth, but in truth, we can't really sympathise with him because he got given that opportunity and he squandered it. You know, other people have turned that job down and thought, I, I can't do that or I can't handle, regardless of whether it's like I can't bring some of back up or I can't work with that man or I can't. You know, it, it's all relative, I suppose. So while Grayson should be, we should have some sympathy for him for striving but failing to succeed. Um, at the same time, I think we should still condemn him
3: for his mistakes with Grayson. It's one of those where he can he can get another job in League One, maybe another job in the Championship. He can he can still be seen as a firefighter, a guy who can organize teams at a lower level. We just now know that he can't do it at a club the size of ours, so yeah, no point in losing sleep over Simon Grayson. he got his payoff. he'll be back whether it's in league one or the championship. I don't know, I don't really care, but we'll move on from him. We've got a shiny new manager who's more charismatic than him, that's more talented than him that's better looking than him, so get on, you get on your bike, Grayson,
4: yeah, definitely. I feel a bit sorry for him like I can't doubt I feel sorry for him because he is such a nice guy because he came in. And it is a disaster, but he just wasn't good enough. He was never big enough. And the whole appointment itself just smacked of a little bit of short-termism. Whereas this is genuine intent. It's a sign of intent for for us, for the rest of the league, to say, look, it's, we're Sunderland and we're coming back. Like this, it, it might be too much. I might be getting a little bit all, bit too optimistic all too early after just a 2-1 loss. But this is the size yeah. and the, gra- the gravity of the appointment of what we've just made. It,
2: I think that's... I think it's fair considering what we saw I mean I wasn't impressed with his substitutions um, At the same time though I can sort of see the I'm I'm not going to look at it through the same lens That I looked at uh, Grayson's substitutions Like that sort of became a recurring thing You sort of knew after a few games That that was going to be a problem And for me that's very important the The management of players mid-game To me is really really important It's something that Well it's something that you can't ignore Something that Grayson really suffered from I think, or his game certainly suffered from. James, do you have one last thing to say?
4: Yeah, it's just on the interview with Coleman, it's, I like, i really enjoyed that he addressed the finances. It was kind of like the white elephant in the room during the whole thing. Like, I'm sitting waiting for the finances to be brought into question. And he was just so honest and open about it. He said, look, we don't have much money. We will have to sell in the summer. We're going to have to do that to bring in players. And it's, it's such a far cry from the Martin Bain, Simon Grayson, platitude in the summer of, yeah, We've all, I we haven't got the short, smallest budget, but we haven't got the biggest budget. It's like, it's a mid-table budget. Well, I've figured out all, I've looked at all the budgets. I've got figures for all the budgets. And ours is the seventh, the sixth, sorry, the sixth smallest budget in the, in the championship while well, making the highest net profit. Only Hull brought in more players than us, but they spent 20 million pound on players. That mm. is by no means a mid-table championship budget. Interesting. But it, but it so, is great to see like Coleman's just came out and be so honest and said, look, we're, I need to do this because one thing that we want of a fan is that we don't want to be taken for a ride by the manager. We want to be trusted. We want to be told the truth. We don't want just all these constant platitudes that are covered in, and that's what I really irked me with Simon Grayson at the end of the end of his tenure. It
2: was. It's that. It's indicative, though. It's it's not just indicative. It's also. It's sort of institutionalised, really, in that sense, and something yeah. that happens. I, I think it's difficult for them to deal with it. The fair play, you know I mean, hands up. is difficult to deal with angry fans. And you can't help but be angry considering all of the problems we've been through as fans and the the constant issues with Sunderland. It has been constant. I mean, you, regardless of how you look at it, you can look at it on the pitch, you can look at it in the papers, you can look at it behind the scenes. It doesn't matter. It has been an uphill struggle supporting Sunderland AFC for a long time. <laughs> and it should never be like that for a club, should it really? For, for fans of a club, it should always be about love and pleasure and, you know what I mean, just enjoying your time. But it isn't like that. There's a lot of stuff to complain about and there's a lot of things to kick off about with Sunderland. It's a shame like that. But at the same time, as you say, and I agree with both of you tonight, that I feel like we've turned the corner. You know, Don't get me wrong, the last time I felt like we turned the corner was when we beat Crystal Palace 4-0. And we all know how that panned out. But in truth, <laughs> I do feel like with the appointment of Coleman, with his severity... And surely, he he can't be stupid, (laughs) Holmes isn't (laughs) there, James Holmes isn't there, but I'll say Nels, in his absence, with his tactical Nels, surely he has the capacity to get a tune out of these players. I mean, it's a real shame, just briefly touching on injuries, really, because we haven't really spoken about it, but there were nine out of the squad today. Obviously, a huge, huge blow, really, particularly if you're a big fan of Watmore.
3: Uh, Jimmy, what do you make of that? Yeah, yeah, really getting with what more. I mean, I, I really thought he was going to tear this league up. He was so impressive when he came back against Preston. He terrified them with his pace. And then you watched him again. Um, you watched him again when he won the penalty at Brentford, just sort of taking two players out of the game. That pace was just making him such an asset at this level. And I really thought we had one of the best forwards in the league in him. And on the other side of McGeevy. and I really thought those two together with Graben, could really fire us up this league table. I was really hopeful that what more was going to be a big part of whatever we did between now and the end of the season, it was going. The other thing as well is we talked about substitutions briefly. I think that was really where our lack of options hurt us. Like We talked about Honeyman not producing from a creative standpoint. There's a real lack of options and alternatives we could bring on and keep the sh- same shape really today. There's a real lack of creative players. Ethan Robson, is he going to be good enough for this level? Like we don't really know yet. But, but the signs from what I saw of him when he came on against Cardiff are maybe, maybe not. And it was, it was tough. I mean, the other thing as well is McManaman was so anonymous tonight. He was second guessing himself. He was taking too many touches. He didn't try and take on Neil Taylor once. He was so frustrating to watch. And the alternatives, Joel Asoro, a guy who we've all talked about is maybe his questionable attitude before, a really talented kid. But we just, yeah, we just don't have the options off the bench that we'd really like at this stage of the season. And with Christmas coming round, with the age of our squad, you just wonder, is it going to get worse before it gets better? And that's going to be one of Coleman's big tasks, is not just instilling this belief that we're all confident you can do, not just putting in the work on the training pitch. We're all confident you can do. It's working magic in the January transfer window, and it's getting a fit 11 players on the pitch each week. So there's a lot of challenges here, and I think managing that injury list is one of the big ones.
4: Yeah, I definitely agree. The subs today were just indicative of the problems that we've got with the injuries and and Dong's uh, family bereavement, uh, Rodwell's well I don't know where Rodwell was, but it was week in, week out. We're and there's not really, you don't really think, oh, yes, we've got that play out and come on and change the game. We've got this play out and come on and change the game. It seems like there wasn't much, but today, a Sorrows introduction kind of did change the game a little bit. Vaughan's introduction changed the game. We played... But just as well with the 4 4 2, Vaughan and grabbing up front as we did without And A lot of times on a And that was, that was like, oh, you see Vaughan coming on as as much as he works hard, he kind of like, well, well that's the end of the game. We're not really going to do anything. It's so not going to really change from here now, is it? But the Soro's got some raw pace, and that's something that one needs with Watmore's long term injury. My big worry for Watmore is that he's had two ACL injuries. And although he's a good player, he's an intelligent player, he's not exactly a technically skilled player. A lot of his is raw talent. It comes from his pace. It comes from his energy, a little bit like Vardy. But like That sort of style of player, his pace and energy create problems. And Asoro done that a day. He's, he's pace his energy off the ball created a few problems. Now, he was nowhere near the level of Watmore, and he's only 18. But it was just something different in... I quite enjoyed that in the second half with with what with Osor, even though he didn't have a particularly great game, he was just a different option. And with mm. Watmore's injury, I think he might he might be important, even though I don't really rate him that highly.
2: Well, it's it's possible that he'll get that inclusion, as you say. I mean, I, I think we're all. If it wasn't for Watmore's injury, and considering all of the injuries, as I said, we have nine out at the moment, or we certainly for this game, he wouldn't have gotten a looking. We we've had a couple of mixed reviews about John Asor, really. I suppose some people watch him and think that he's, he's got a bit of t- I mean, he's certainly got talent. There's no denying that. There's clear potential there. Whether or not his talent lives up to the hype, I think that's probably arguably the problem. I mean, with Watmore, to me, that isn't a bad thing. I was truly convinced that come January, we were going to lose Duncan Watmore. I think if he'd done well, we were going to lose him. I'm not saying that would have been a huge loss to us, I think it would have been in sense of potential, in the sense of he is really, as you said, uh, as you alluded to, James, like one of the only outlets we have on the win. That's, uh, that sucks. But at the same time, would we have been looking to replace him? I mean, bearing in mind, we we're talking about Coleman. We haven't really touched on transfers, but let's be honest, he's going to need some money. He said in that interview that he's going to need the money from somewhere. Looking at the players we've got, who's available, who wants to go, well, probably everyone wants to go, but let's be honest, who can we actually get rid of? I mean, Duncan Watmore's got potential, you know. Lewis Graham, I think he's stuck here contractually, despite the fact that he's a he's a high goal scorer somehow. Who are we going to sell? And Dong, who are we going to sell? Are we going to sell Kone? Yes, most likely. But I certainly expected to see the back of Watmore, January, summertime. So I think the idea that he's laid up for a while, although it sucks for him, at the same time, I think if we do well in the time that he's absent, we can perhaps keep him on the books. I know this is a bit out there. It's a bit of speculation and things like that. So there's nothing to back this up. I'm just wondering if we would have seen the back of Duncan Watmore to free up even like a bit of wages or something like that, you know, because he isn't such a crucial player. Obviously he's been out for this long. Surely he isn't featured in Chris Coleman's long-term plans. I I, I wouldn't have thought so. That's, I think that's a bit tragic really when you consider it. What do you make of it, James? Like your ideas on Watmore, would Do you think I'm right here? Do you think we would miss him or would he likely have been gone in January?
4: I've got a worry with Watmore that he's gone anyway. I think that if you look at players like Callum Wilson had two horrendous ACL injuries and came back and scored a hat-trick at the weekend for Bournemouth. But I don't think Watmore could come back and be the same player. This is the second time on the same knee. Just two horrendous, I mean, the first one was a horrendous ACL injury and it looks like it's a repeat injury in the same knee of the same ligament and that's a big worry. He might not be the same player when he comes back. And in January, we definitely need to buy a player with genuine pace and physicality. I mean, Physicality isn't always just p- brute power and strength. It's also about pace. And we've got the least physical team in a division that requires physicality to be successful. That is one of the base requirements.
3: Yeah, I mean, today was a real worry for me because, yeah, I agree with all your sort of reservations about what more and him losing it in terms of him maybe being one of these sad stories of a player who we never really know how good he was because of injuries. Our shape is the idea that we might have sold him in January. That's a bit depressing even for me. That would have just been heartbreaking. So he's our on one good young English talent in January. I mean, you have to praise Kone. You have to pray that somebody's offering some money for him and we can get him off our books. He We've tried talked to about fort-
2: Kone before though, haven't we? I mean, in reality, of course, someone will buy him. I mean, is it likely to be David Moyes for West Ham, Paul Buggers? Yeah. Kone is the sort of person who, or he's the sort of player, certainly, and yeah, the sort of person who thinks that they have to step up, regardless of who the manager is, regardless of what the the ethics are, regardless of what the situation is, or anything like that. I think Kone is the sort of person who's going to go yeah, I'll, I'll be better off at West Ham. I'll be better off in that stadium, I'll be better off on that contract, regardless of whether he gets enough playing time or not, or anything like that and I think that's enough to galvanise Kone and I think that's the problem football players are like that most footballers are like that really they thrive on enthusiasm don't they they thrive on success like most people it's really difficult to get a tune we slag off a lot of players we slag off a lot of footballers for their non-committance, so their inability to essentially soldier on, but it takes a lot out of a person to be able to do that, to go to work at an organization that, you know, is tanking, you know, <laughs> and, and put in your all or to, to work for somebody that doesn't care about you, blah, blah, blah. So I've said before with Kone, it seems on the outside like he's an arsehole, but I'm sure, <laughs> in truth, I'm sure there's just some... If, if we knew the the whole story with him, if we could be a fly on the wall in his interactions with the club, I'm sure that, with as with a lot of footballers, he'd be sitting there going, oh, well, actually, you know what? Fuck that for a game until his shoulders. You know what I mean? So seeing the back of him, obviously, as everyone said, and we've all watched, he's not very good anymore. I don't think it's about his actual ability, you know? So I do wonder with someone like Coleman in charge. I wonder if there's enough. I, I said actually before we finish, obviously we're running out of time now, but before we end this, I, I want to put something up to a vote between the three of us here. Or oh, well, just a suggestion. Let, let's talk about it for a minute. Like Kazri, Barini, Jillabodji. You guys are with me on this. you follow following me on this. Yeah. How many of those do you think would be interested slash useful? to us that Coleman would be able to lure. Because I'm sitting here and I'm thinking hang on a minute, he hasn't got any money he's perhaps got the gift of the game, he's got a bit of confidence about him. You know, and there have been rumours, we've spoken about on Roker Report check that out, from Turkish newspapers about his position, Len's particular uh, position at Besiktas. Um, One newspaper over there, popular newspaper, said that he's going to leave uh, He's perhaps they want to actually terminate his contract because he's not worth the money. Is that the sort of thing that we could expect? Jimmy, what do you reckon? Is there any chance of seeing these players
3: back? And if we did see them under Coleman, would they improve? The first part of your question, I think all four all four have played their last ever game for Sunderland Football Club, their last competitive game. I think all of them are going to be sold. And it's just a formality, really. I mean, someone said that Breeny mm-hmm. was Player of the Month Racing Land, which is absolutely crazy. Yeah, that was crazy. Amazing. Crazy, yeah, isn't it? Matt, um, I think that Matt, was after quite a few assists as well. I think, in terms of could they do a job in the championship? Gillibodgy, I, I just, I just don't see the footballer there. I don't think, I don't think he's got enough sort of in between as a is to ever really make it. He's just do, got you, got do you think bad it's a relevant? Do you think it would be
2: relevant though for Coleman to look at the players that some of them have out on loan, and do you think there'd be a possibility of getting a tune out of them? You know, do you think there's any future
3: for these players here? If if we're in the championship, I think you should absolutely. Kazri would be the one you'd look at, the one who potentially just, did, he never saw eye right to eye with Grayson. It, it may have just been a case of those two personalities not meshing. He would be the one I think would be most willing to come back in and could be effective and productive. So I think out of the four, he'd be the one that I'd, I'd sort of hang my hat on and say, if we could get him back in, he'd still only be in his mid to late 20s that would be the one where maybe he'd be a great set piece for that. He'd be a great alternative to McGee, a great player to play with McGee. That would be the one that would interest me the most. But I've 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 already sort of mentally said goodbye to all four of those guys. Yeah, I suppose we all have haven't we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just uh yeah, interesting to note that considering
2: how little money he'll have, you know, and with the idea of just with that little rumour floating around about Lens Perhaps having his loan contract terminated. I just wonder how he'd fit in if he'd come across, if Coleman had like a different perspective on things.
4: Yeah, so on the, on the four loan players, I think Jillabodgi, I'm completely done with. Absolutely done with. I, I, he's got all right pace. He's got all right ability on the ball. He's decent in the air. But that doesn't matter when you're a centre back. For me, a centre back has to anticipate, concentrate, and be ready to read the game at all times, and he just can't do any any of them. Casri Lens and Barini, it's clear, have ability, and they would come in and improve in any position on the team. But I think there's a two points why th- that'll never happen. Firstly, Chris Coleman's interview. He said that if people aren't ready to get into the fight and aren't ready to give everything, he doesn't want them. He said he doesn't want anybody who's half-assed. He, he, he can either be here in full, or be here, or just be gone completely and be a bit taken away from the club. And I think. All of them have been questionable in the past regarding that. And secondly, I think it's for future money. I think part, maybe we couldn't sell them on this year because of a lack of interest. But partly, I think part, I think that they didn't sell them on because it guarantees transfer fees in the next window. It guarantees another set of income away from just the 30 million from Pickford, because I don't think we've got another 30 million in Pickford in the summer. Oh, I, think the, we
2: got, I don't think we got 30 million in the first place, but yeah.
4: Yeah, the, the big, I don't think we've got a big sum like that from anybody. So even if it's just nominal fees, even if it's very small ones, it guarantees another set of income for us to try and get the club back on its feet financially.
2: Absolutely. Very good point. Well made. Well, that's about all we've got time for, guys. Thank you very much for joining us for this, the 50th episode of The Rock Report. Sorry there weren't more fireworks or anything like that. Don't forget you can subscribe to us on Acast, iTunes, and YouTube. And, of course, you should go on to rokerreport.com to check out all the wonderful stuff that's written by the fantastic writers we have there and contributors. Don't forget you can also contribute yourself. Always delighted to hear from you. Um, yeah, until the 51st episode, that's it from The Rock Report. This is us signing off.